Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 72 of Jen and Millie, where a Gen Xer and a millennial share the strength-based perspective through which they view the world. We are your hosts, Allison and Tess. Hi, Tess. Hi. I feel like it's been a while. Has it been a while? I feel like it's been a while, too. We were, and I feel like it's probably because we were in a routine early pandemic of recording every week (laughs) and um now we are lucky to have every couple weeks but june 11th was the last time we recorded and it's the 29th today so it has been a hot minute also i feel just like time is going very very quickly fast oh my goodness yes and I had a conversation about that today with um, Brenda Searle when I chatted with her this morning. And I said, it doesn't make sense that I look back and think about March. And I feel like that was two days ago. Yeah. And it should feel like to me that it was a century ago because we've had, you know, like the same Tuesday, like March just lasted forever. Mm-hmm. But that's not how I feel. I feel like I've um, lived an entire year and a half, maybe three years in the last few months. Yeah. Hmm. I wrote a little personal blog um, a week ago, maybe. Um, what are we learning here is what I called it. Hmm. And I just, in my horrible writing style, did bullet points of just things that I've been learning along the way. And one of them is is about the, the sense of urgency that seems silly there's like all this contradiction for me within yeah like I'm not traveling but I feel like I'm working more than I've ever worked yeah including travel time Mm -hmm. um I'm not I I'm not as busy with the calendar but yet my days seem longer Mm -hmm. so I feel like there's just a whole lot of contradiction and that kind of Mm -hmm. leads me to what I hoped we would chat about today one of the things I hope we chat about today I sent you a video Mm-hmm. Which I don't do very often. Um, so I now have Apple TV for a short amount of time, and probably half the universe has Apple TV, and I'm just slow to it. But they promote certain shows, and the show that they're promoting or produced that I think received an Emmy is The Morning Show. And I'm a little, you know, as usual, late to the party. <laughs> a bit. <laughs> but what's funny is when you watch this, when you're late to the party and all of these things have happened, yeah, they then become even more um, telling. So, for example, I'm reading um, Untamed by Glennon Doyle mm-hmm. right now. She has this beautiful chapter in the book about um, white privilege. Yeah. yeah. And it's it was written a lot. I mean, it's so It came timely. out last year, it, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just so beautifully written also, but it's so timely watching the morning show I thought oh my gosh this is so timely and I'm as you know I'm not one for tv at all Mm -hmm. so to get into a show takes me a lot of convincing um I still watch Parks and Rec reruns the Golden Girls reruns Mm -hmm. and CBS Sunday morning is pretty much it yeah Lauren convinced me to watch better things which I started and then I started a long time ago and then finished up that's a great show but anyway, I just watched the first episode of the morning show thinking, okay, maybe. And this particular scene between, I don't even know the characters' names and it doesn't matter, Jen Aniston's character and Reese Witherspoon's character. Mm-hmm. Jen Aniston is the anchor of the morning show. Reese Witherspoon is a 
um, small town, you know, kind like of a, local yeah, reporter. And an immature, I would say, not immature, but feisty, um, non-niche professional um, reporter. And they're doing this interview and they start talking about basically, in my mind, integrity. And it rattled me so much, Tess. Mm. It was a Saturday morning, and I'm, I can't sit down and watch TV. I have to do like 40 other things. So I'm doing 40 other things, and I'm kind of watching the scene, and then I see it, and I came back, and I sat in front of my laptop, and I watched it again. And I watched it again and again, like five times. Just this one particular scene, and I'm like, what is this? It is so rattling. It just like my... Yeah. I had goosebumps. I had like heart racing. I just felt intensity. It doesn't happen to me very often. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, what is this about? Why is this so visceral to me? Yeah. And so I sent it to, well, I thought about it all day and the next day. I just couldn't get it out of my head. I kept thinking about it. Um, and we'll have to figure out a way to share the scene because I tried to find it on a YouTube clip and that's, that's not going to happen. But I did it with my phone, as you saw. Yeah, yeah, let's be honest. It's like that's a whole different generational conversation. Playing it on your laptop while video recording it on your phone and then sending that to me. <laughs> that's all right. The clip, I, um, the clip is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Basically, Reese says to Jen, I think that people are looking for someone to tell the truth. And Jen's response, um, Jen Aston's response back is something to the effect of, in leadership, you can't have empathy. And I, I just, it froze me. Yeah. Just froze me. Mm. And I thought, that is probably what is missing right now most. Yeah. And so, anyway, I thought about it for days, and I, so I sent it to Katie. Mm-hmm. And I said, Katie, what is, why is this rattling me? And, and she loved it, of course, too, and she said, what a time to be alive right now, yeah. which I love Katie and her positivity and her perspective on life is so good for me. Mm-hmm. She's been a friend since I was a little kid, um, and she's someone I really rely on to mm-hmm. help me see things differently, especially when I'm, yeah. I'm kind of grappling with something. And she said, what a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. Like, history is happening, and yeah. massive change, and things are happening, and things are being illuminated. She said, you know, you can do something with this. You can be part of this if you choose yeah. to be. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, I wanted to get your reaction yeah. to the clip because I think you've seen the, maybe a couple episodes mm-hmm. of the show. Yeah, I did see a couple episodes and it didn't really enrapture me, I guess. But um, but yes, I recall watching that and then getting to listen to it again as you um, have kind of rediscovered or you've discovered it for the first time. Right. And, and sent me the, um, the clip. And I think what stuck out to me the most about it was the fact that Jen was starting to take whatever the character's name is that right. I don't remember either, but she was starting to take, to take Reese's more like ethical and moral guidelines of journalism. She was starting to take them as personal attacks, right? Like it was almost a subliminal message that Reese was calling her out on not being personal, mm-hmm. not being passionate enough, right? But then in the end, she like the very end of it was like, we need to be true, you know, we need to speak the truth, we need to be honest in who we are as reporters. And then she said, like you. And that immediately flipped the entire emotional 
ten, you know, tension and emotional awareness that was happening, right? There was all this tension buildup because it felt like a one person against another, right? And mm-hmm. But then when all of a sudden Reese's character said that, it was a complete shift that everything then retrospectively that she had been speaking about, she was seeing that in Jen's character. And Jen is an example of that. When Jen maybe didn't feel like, or her character didn't feel like she was functioning in integrity and it felt like a personal attack. And I think that was really significant to me to watch it and see all this tension, see them almost fighting and with one word, right? Or one phrase, it was like, like you as an example, right? That shifted the entire dialogue and it made everything that had been spoken about prior to that be put into a different light. And I think it really like, I know that this probably wasn't where you were going with the scene or what resonated with you, but it made me think about how all the time we talk about um, these like narratives that we place in our lives, right? And like the distance between us and another person, we oftentimes fill with suspicion and assumption and even, you know, Brene Brown's like, what if we just believe the best in people, right? What if we just cho- chose to believe the best? And that was such a great example of believing the worst, reading through the reading between the lines, but in a way that was filling the void with suspicion, with worry, with almost personal attack, like it's about me. But in reality, it's not, right? In reality, the whole conversation wasn't a personal attack against her in her subtext of the conversation or anything like that. So I think that was just, it was pretty profound to think about even just with something as simple as one word and one phrase, how that just shifted the entire dialogue. And what I saw was a leader exposed. Mm. So mm-hmm. uh, Witherspoon is clearly getting under Aniston's skin. Yep. And you can see that she's pulling away a layer that has been very, very protected. protected. Mm-hmm. And I loved that Aniston says, so you're just a real raw reporter. You're just a... And she said, that's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm here to deliver the news. I'm not here to be the president of the United States Yeah. to make the decision as to whether to close the coal mine or not. Yeah. I'm here to report that. That's all I've ever wanted to do. Yeah. And I loved that, I think, the most because it spoke to me about purpose. Mm. And I think Aniston's character was struggling in purpose that now had become a facade. I haven't yeah. watched much more. Um, I think a couple more episodes. But... Her, her whole life had been built around being now being this anchor that she could not be truthful. She yeah. could not be honest. She couldn't depend on her partner. She had to be nonpartisan, non-biased. Yeah, her partner who, yeah, <laughs> had to and leave. Then she tries out. to say to Witherspoon, "What side do you take?" Mm-hmm. And she said, "I take the human side." And she said, "What does that mean?" And she said, "I see both sides." Mm-hmm. And I loved that too. So I think that. For me, there were lots of pieces that got to me, but it reminded me so much of what we talk about in the concept of purpose mm-hmm. and how it's so closely aligned with your values. Yeah, it is. And if you yeah. are out of line with your values, you cannot walk in your purpose. Mm-hmm. It just, it won't feel right. It won't, it won't work. Yeah. And I think that's why, um, her raw realness is it being a reporter because it aligns with her her values then billy crudup is in this movie and i adore him because he was in almost famous and big fish two of my favorite movies ever and his character 
it is so manipulative. And that's really, I mean, he, he acts as if that's what he's born to do as a producer of a um, news show. Yeah. Like a, right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, I needed some brain candy like that test mm-hmm. because I think I had been covering and reviewing and thinking on really, really challenging to my brain things mm-hmm. that I needed something to get lost in and I yeah. thought it was going to be funny maybe because what's his name from the office is in it I thought maybe it was going to be funny and it was not nope, funny not at, at all not funny at all <laughs> very so, real life <laughs> oh my darn gosh. it and yeah. I'm watching a show that isn't even mm-hmm. humorous but I think um, anyway it really helped it helped me get realigned I think for me with my values my purpose my why yeah. No one gets to define that but the individual. Mm-mm. So true. So true. So one of the other things that I really love about, and granted, everyone take this with a grain of salt because I think I've watched one and a half or two episodes of this show. But what I especially loved about that conversation or that clip that you sent me was that from what I recall, and I think I watched this in like November or December, and again, it was an episode and a half maybe I got through, but a lot of the lead up to that dialogue kind of pitted Jen Aniston as this very put together professional like this is the way gold class journalism should be and then Reese is this like raw rugged like quote unquote unprofessional and almost a little bit like hick hickish you know like for lack of a better word I don't think that's actually a word but kind of sets her up as this like small town hick journalist that just gets inflamed and enraged about everything and so it almost is kind of it seems like it's setting um, the interview up for like what really great journalism is versus not such great journalism right and then the whole that their whole conversation of that whole clip totally broke down the assumptions that you have right and that's also like good storytelling good drama you know but I think it was really great because in the end when you hear both of them talk about their purpose in their job I'd much rather align with where Reese is at in terms of living in purpose and passion just like you said rather than having to be a cool calm and detached right um which is where kind of jen is at and so you didn't necessarily see jen's purpose come out in the same way nearly at all right and it broke down the assumptions we have of what is maybe gold standard high class right this is what professionalism should look like this is what leadership should look like this is what whatever fill in the blank should Mm -hmm. look like we all make those assumptions whereas probably reese is gonna last longer in the field because she's driven by passion and purpose rather than a need to perform money and right fame. yeah versus money, money and, and fame, fame mm-hmm. were very clear to me yeah. in these first episodes how money and fame yeah. turn into power mm-hmm. and what power looks like so yeah. so much is happening happening there in the initial episodes regarding how yeah, I'm going to call him Michael Scott. We're just butchering yeah. all, <laughs> all of these. We don't know any of the characters. Whatever. Like, We're going to get sued by Apple he's TV. Essentially, he's in, I mean, he has absolutely ruined his career mm-hmm. because of sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And so you see all of that side yeah. of money, fame, him losing everything, them as partners, mm-hmm. Jan Aniston and Michael Scott as partners. If people are listening Michael to this Scott. and they watch this show, they're going to say, Allison, you are the worst. You are the worst. But yeah. I think for me, 
it's the right kind of it, it is the right yeah. kind of show that I need right yeah. now. Hmm. It's a good reminder that I I want to stay true to me and I do want to offer empathy and I do want to be in the work. Yeah. I want to be in the work. I miss being in community so so much. I miss like late night traveling, you know, getting home super, super late and starting the next day super early with another presentation. I mean, I just miss being in the work. Um, Not that I'm not in the work, but it so aligned me with this is why I love Mm -hmm. what I get to do. And this is why it's important to me because it also doesn't just align with my values, it aligns with my strengths. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, how's your word of the year? We're halfway through the year almost. (laughs) Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, July is in two days, which is insane, right? But yeah, my, I think we talked a little bit, and there we had a whole episode on hope, which is my word of the year. Um, And I was reflecting with someone recently about this because, oh, I had a really good conversation with my pastor. Um, a couple of the pastors on staff, they're a married couple and invited me over like to do a social distancing porch, have a drink and hang out. And it was wonderful. And um, so I think um, it was that context we were talking about this. And I said, at least from my perspective, right, in talking with them, like, I know why God called me to that word, right? Um, initially, I thought it was the word preparation, but um, hope was more encompassing of it, right? Like living in hope allows you to prepare now for what's to come. And um, so in talking about that, I said, and that is still so true. The initial intent of it is still so present in my life, functioning so much in, in such personal ways, but now it's become a word that has enraptured my groups and society at large, right? Like it's gone beyond the individual because of what's been happening lately. Um, and so that's like been a look really behind you. Yeah, yep. So I, I can take a picture of that and maybe post on social media. But um, because of, and if you listen to the last episode, um, 71, I've talked a little bit about my involvement with um, the peaceful protesting and Black Lives Matter movement. And um, there's a, this was uh, derived from a photo of a young girl on the first night of protesting in Omaha and she has um, the black power fist raised and um, she was taken with the Crossroads Mall sign in the back and it was kind of became really famous because she's this young African-American girl and um, Kamala Harris posted it on social media and um, so a national figure posting this photo of this young Omaha girl and so this local artist made it into this print and gave her a sign that says hope on it. And I think that that it's just, you know, such a personal message, but then also such an incredible reminder of if we believe in a better future, not just individually, but also for as a society, right? We need to start the work now in order to actualize that, um, that best possible future. And so it's been really neat because I feel like the whole world is grasping onto the concept of hope right now. And it's been really neat to have been given a little bit of a prelude to that um, six months ago when I started uh, more than, you know, yeah, at the beginning of January, beginning of December, when I really started percolating on this thought and concept for the year. Um, so it's just totally, I mean, it, it, it's still fulfilling the initial purpose and call that I felt with this word and intention for the year. But now it's just it's a little bit annoying how much it's popping up everywhere, (laughs) how much 
everyone is needing it. Meant to be. How, yes, it is definitely meant to be. At the same time, I'm kind of like, okay. <laughs> it's now everywhere and everyone's talking about it, which I love. I, I'm so grateful for. Um, but it's been a really, it's been really neat just to see how with everything that has happened, right? We could have never imagined the world we're living in right now. But how much I think for both of us, our words have remained in somewhat initial intention, but then also morphed into something really unique and different uh, because of what's happened lately. But I know you've been doing much better and much more intentional work with your word, I think. So in your mid-year check-in, so I want to hear more about that. I think that I, when I look back at the words that I've chosen over the years, they have manifested into in ways that I could never have predicted. Yeah. I mean, in tremendous ways that I could have predicted. Um, I think that my word of the year choice has been, it was a good decision, a good choice to choose that word. Good choice um, to choose. Be- because <laughs> choice. it has helped remind me throughout this year, it is up to me. It is up to me. It is up to me. These are my choices. I cannot blame anyone else. Yeah. Um, so if I am frustrated because I didn't get my decision to walk every day, which I made a couple weeks ago, I try to walk around the lake every night. If I don't get it done, it's because I chose to prioritize something else and I cannot yeah. blame anyone else for that. That's good. So it's helped me with personal responsibility, but I got my, um, dry erase board out and decided to do kind of a mid-year check-in. So what's working? on one column what's not working and then trying to just kind of reframe a little bit because I do have the choice one of the biggest choices that I've made Tess is recognizing where I give my energy Mm. so I've been trying to say this to a number of people in my life but I also use this when I'm doing coaching you imagine the energy that you have in your day and you know let's just say it fits all in this one fist and I always use the fist because people use this when they're coaching around nutrition. Like this is a serving size of, you know, whatever people, somebody (laughs) used this for something else, but I'm talking about this part of you, like the interior part of your fist. Mm -hmm. This is all the energy you have for the day. Like you don't have this much, you have this much. So how you choose to gift it is up to you. And if you gift it away, I mean, you can't really blame anybody else. So I am learning and recognizing how much energy I gift to people who probably are not in a deserving space for my energy. Um, So I've really become a lot more aware and dialed down as to how do I want to give my time and energy to whom and um, for what purpose and what value. So what's working for me um, has really been the re- reduction of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Getting, I mean, having to move into small space created that choice for me, but it has really been a helpful thing for me. It's a what works. It's in the what works category. Um, I have more dedicated wellness because I have more time for routine. So I can go for a run and do yoga because. Before, you know, at four o'clock in the morning, it wasn't always the best time to run and in the spirit of honoring my neighbors, not the best time to do yoga either. So now I have a little bit more morning time that I'm able to do both. So more and dedicated exercise 
Um, and then my weekend time is suddenly for me because I'm with, um, you know, just safe health measures. I'm trying to limit my social interaction and that has given me more time to read and reflect and write and Mm -hmm. think. Um, been doing lots of reading. So I'm identifying what's working, um, and what's not working (laughs) and the not working won't get into that too much, but it being, it's a choice to be able to identify it and then say, and what can you really do about this and how willing are you to do something about it? So how do you use your voice? How do you choose to use your voice? I've written down some of those things. Um, I kind of, narrow down my goals this year into, um, stability, focus, getting organized and planning for change. Ideally planning for change was not the change that I was anticipating in March. Planning for change was for me personally. And then the whole world changed, um, improving well-being and healing and celebrating. And when I looked at my goals, my overall goals, I am still not celebrating well. Yeah. So I'm trying, I'm trying. Um, I think I'm learning how to use the chat feature in meetings to try to say, and yay, I'm proud of this and I'm excited about this and to send emails or to do a presentation for my alma mater because they asked, would you be willing to share um, your knowledge and your experience around strengths and engagement? And I said, sure, I would. And the way that was celebrated before, I would have probably said, Oh, you know, okay, it's no big thing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just saying thank you. I listened to a podcast the other day where the woman was talking about, as women especially, that we cannot take compliments. Mm-hmm. And if we give a good presentation, we say things that make it sound like it's not true. Yeah. It's like if someone compliments you as a presenter, you say thank you. You receive it. Mm-hmm. I think that's good. Um, so there's a. Uh, something that I've actually been thinking about when you said you were reflecting on what's working and what's not working in your goals. Um, we both had sub goals of celebrating better, right? Of course, um, connectedness, we both had that goal. And I think what has happened with the virus has forced us to redefine how we celebrate because my natural inclination to celebrate is to gather friends together and to be intentional and just have a moment to pause and acknowledge what has gone really well or what's worked and to like mark that moment in time in that way. But it's had to look different, right? And maybe it's been a really great, um, you know, getting takeout by myself, you know, which I don't often do normally cook everything for myself or getting a special order coffee or, um, uh, taking, you know, like a really luxurious bubble bath or something like that. Right. Like it's had to look different because Mm -hmm. there hasn't been the space to have the kind of social interactions that I normally, and not even having high woo, right. I can't imagine where you're at, but, um, you know, naturally I conflate, celebration with social um with social atmosphere right so learning to celebrate in new and different ways and and i think a big thing along with celebration is celebrating the self which you're right as as Mm -hmm. women you know generally don't do i think everybody though has a layer of um 
of uh, an unwillingness to celebrate ourselves, right? It's the question that we ask people when we go out to communities, share something you've done recently that you're proud of. And the fact that mm-hmm. people have a really hard time identifying that, their they're total right. inclination is to celebrate somebody else, um, what someone else has done. And and it reminded me of my good friend, Alex. She did um, QLI, the organization she works for here in Omaha. They do these like staff huddles, like we do our Friday afternoons. You know, we do staff happy hour, which I know we've shared on the podcast before. So the teammate staff gathers and drinks. They do learning opportunities at QLI. So they gather together from four to five on Fridays and they invite somebody from the staff to speak about something that's important to them, like a topic they know a little bit about or, you know, it's really neat. So it can be about anything like specifically related to the work they do or not. And so Alex, um, coming from like a mental health and counseling background, talked about quieting your inner critic or silencing your inner critic was the name of her huddle. And they recorded it, thankfully, so I went back and listened to it later. But one of the things she said is that in helping to identify how strong your inner critic is, right? Like there's some reasons that it's good to have an inner critic because it helps propel you. It gives you a little bit of discomfort to push yourself more. But a lot of times it goes overboard. And one of the ways you know if it goes overboard is when you do something really well instead of pausing to celebrate and acknowledge it, you say, whew, well, I'm glad that's over with, right? (laughs) So after a presentation, being like, oh gosh, I'm glad that's over with, instead of celebrating the fact that you did it, right? And so, and that makes me think a lot about even how I respond to some things too, right? That's my natural inclination is to say, well, okay, good, I'm done with it. And so it takes people to gut check us and messages like this to gut check us to say, okay, yes, it's over with, so that's something to acknowledge, but also can we celebrate the fact that it happened, right, and pause in whatever way we can right now. Um, That was just a really good gut check. It's like it's making me really think about how do I respond when things are done that I've put, you know, pressure on myself to accomplish. My celebration shifted from uh, celebrating with others and celebrating within, so giving myself permission So for example, you all know that I started with this giant focus planner, which was extraordinarily expensive and I was all committed to it. And now that I know where discipline lies for me, um, because I've been writing down my um, top 15 strengths every day, um, I can tell you that discipline is high for me, but what, I think it's 14. I'm still, I'm getting closer to to having them all. I designed an acronym to remember, to remember achiever individualization, no, I can't remember the acronym. Connectedness. Connected. <laughs> belief. Anyway, I gave myself permission to say, you don't need this. Mm-hmm. Good. You don't have to order another one because they're quarterly. Mm-hmm. You don't have to order another one. I gave myself permission to say, you don't have to kill yourself to get this done. That's You've good. done enough today. Mm-hmm. So I think my celebration has been kind of an acknowledgement of saying no or saying that's enough or saying, wow, that was great. And so let's end this day on good job. You, you did, you not only did the presentation well, but people are taking takeaways and that's enough. Yeah. So kind of back to the Reese clip, that's what I was hearing from her. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to have all these 5,000 other things figured out. What I do is enough. Yeah. It's enough. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of my celebration is to say, because before Tess, 
if I commit to something, responsibility number 15, I'm just like, no, I have to do it now. I said I was gonna, so now I have to do it. No, I have the choice to say, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. And I don't want to use that planner anymore. I went and got a cheapy planner and I can do the same things the same Mm -hmm. way. And it spreads out better, by the way. And it's Mm -hmm. not. It's crazy balance thing. Yeah, it can Mm -hmm. spread it out. I cannot feel guilty if I make a bunch of smudges all over it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when I reflect on my word choice, it's almost in a recognition that I can choose to be myself mm-hmm. with even more authenticity, intentionality, mm-hmm. and proud of. I mean, like yeah. there's a, a, at this stage, and season of my life, especially this year after everything that's happened, I am proud of mm-hmm. where I am right now. Yeah. And to say that mm-hmm. is even surprising sometimes to me that I'm not I'm not faking that when I say it. I mean it. Yeah. Hmm. And that has been a great celebration yeah. to just mark progress and say, yes, mm-hmm. not just the achiever like check it off, but a, yes, I did this for me. I chose yeah. this. Um, parting with things, getting rid of stuff. Mm-hmm. I chose this. Choosing to take that kayak, so heavy, <laughs> and load it up, and know that it's going to fall off of that kayak rack about four times before I get it across the street and into the lake. And I may. Last weekend, I almost fell in because my brain could not think about paddle this way, because. There's, again, no dock. I have to scooch in. Uh-huh. There's so much moss right now yeah. that I used to be able to stick my paddle in and push myself out, you know, basically on kind of the mud. Yeah. There's so much moss, you can't do that. Uh-huh. So I went like this, and the kayak started to completely oh, turn to the right. And it took me about five seconds for my brain to register. Move your paddle the other direction. Hmm. And then when I did, I mean, I almost said out loud, yeah, you know what you're doing? But it, because it took me five seconds to think of it, mm-hmm. I was already down on myself. Mm. And I chose to get out of that narrative quick. Good. Yes. Like you're in the water, and boy, does it, and getting out of the water is an adventure, and hauling that thing up the mm-hmm. hill and putting it back on the kayak rack is an adventure. But when I get done with kayaking, I feel so empowered. It reminds me when I first started running and I ran the half marathon and I thought if I could do this, I could do anything. Do anything. Yep. Oh, it's so true. My celebrations this year have been, if I can do this, I can do anything. And there have been a bunch of them. So So that's my mid-year review Mm. is kind of reminding myself to invest in me. Yeah. um, To be proud of myself, to continue to you know, do the hard things. Yeah. And I think part of it, right, not only reminding yourself of remembering to do the hard things and giving yourself grace that you can do the hard things, but I think even your willingness to go through this process of reflecting mid-year is a hard thing. To say, number one, to acknowledge what's not working in your life, that's a step of vulnerability. To go beyond that and to say, what can I actually do to change this is another step of vulnerability, right? To say, to acknowledge that you can't fully control all elements of your life, right? That's that second question you said of what can I actually do to change the situation? And then the third, I think the most vulnerable is to say, do I actually want it to change? 
right? Like, mm-hmm. because there might be a part in your life that's not working, that's not where you want it to be, but until you say, I actually want to change what's happening, <laughs> you know, like my favorite phrase I will repeat over and over again is change happens when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change, right? When we finally say enough is enough, I can't live the way I've been living, so I'm going to go through the hard work of changing, which change is hard mm-hmm. work, especially self-change, self-work, self-reflection, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and you talk all the time, self-reflection is the most under, is like so underrated, right? But it Mm -hmm. also is way undervalued in the amount of work it actually takes. And I think your example of that is a testament to the fact that you had your five seconds of saying, uh, of beating yourself up about that five second gap, but then to rewrite the narrative, right? Self-reflection and self-improvement, the growth that we both, I feel like will die trying to champion other people to do is something that we have to continually remind ourselves of too, right? What I love about that example is you haven't gotten rid of the five second gap of beating yourself up. We never will. We'll never get rid of the inner critic. We'll never get rid of the doubt that we have in ourselves. We'll never get rid of this negative narrative, but the task is to empower the other positive grace-filled growth mindset narrative enough right that we close the gap quicker between when we sit in the negative narrative to when we sit in the empowerment narrative right closing that gap quicker to say okay i'm still learning i'm still growing we always will be um, but i can do hard things right you can do hard things you did not flip over your kayak even though the whole right. lake was totally filled with I moss was fully right prepared. like <laughs> yeah and i thought i'm gonna be a muddy mossy mess but it's often what we talk about with strengths. And I think mm-hmm. that part of the reason that my presentation that I did for Doan and any time that I present about strengths or actually anything mentoring, I weave in growth mindset is that that is key yeah. to the difference between remaining um, stuck. Yeah. So we talk about this all the time with the balcony and basement of strengths. Growth mindset, when I think about you know that line, courage, is what can take us to the next level. Shame is typically what puts us below. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you think about being above the line or below the line, above the line is always gonna require courage. Below the line usually happens because of a shame moment. So I was fully expecting in that kayak moment to feel shame. And I started to walk in it before it even happened. Mm -hmm. And then I took a five second realization and then courage of absolutely you can do this. That puts me above the line. And I think about that with strengths. There's a reason that if we start to invest our time in really knowing our strengths as superpowers and as tools, which yeah. is self-awareness, yep. that good things are going to happen mm-hmm. and we're going to be able to use them and be in moments of flow and less having moments of immature strengths or strengths in the raw form because we're actually investing in the growth mindset part mm-hmm. of strengths. The other thing I thought of too, I know that you are a fan of Enneagram. I am just starting to learn about the archetypes. Okay. And so when you talk about inner critic, that's a saboteur. Mm-hmm. So that's the, I'm not good enough. I, mm-hmm. it's that, um, imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. which I think we all have a little bit. Yep. Um, back to the show. I'm telling you, this show has, conne- this is a connection. There is a scene coming up that you haven't seen yet where 
the artist, I think her name is Rozzy, R-O-Z-Z-I, does a cover of Creep. It is so good, not suitable for child listeners. Um, <laughs> but the song Creep by Radiohead, do you know that song? No. Yes, you do. Sing a little bit of it for me. I'm a creep. I'm a widow. What am I doing here? I don't belong here. You know I'm not going to sing. Um, I'll send it to you. But anyway, I think okay. that the artist, her name is Rozzy. So I immediately go to find this. And it's the only song on the, um, the morning show soundtrack that is not a choreographed, like, musical instrumental. Okay. It's the only cover. And I think they're in trouble, actually, with... Um, I think it's Radiohead. I don't want to say it wrong because my friend Jeremy will listen to this and say, did you just say that Creep was written by Radiohead? Anyway, they, I think she's, they're in trouble for using this cover if I read the article correctly. But anyway, the cover is amazing and it is placed in the right scene that basically identifies imposter sy- syndrome or inner mm-hmm. critic because sure. Reese has just been named to this position and the song is like, I don't belong here. Yeah. Hmm. I, I'm not I'm not special. I'm not worthy of this. I don't belong here. And I think the inner critic um, in the Enneagram, I would say that that would be the shadow side of a three, maybe. Wow, look at you. Does that um, sound right? So the number one is the perfectionist. Um, so in its basic form, a one is going to have an inner critic, a little bit of, um, like that's kind of the definition of a one. Um, because the need to be perfect is from an inner place. The three is more societal expectations. It's critic from an external status, like where do I measure up? Um, okay. So. Okay. Yeah. So, but good. Golly gee, look at you. What? <laughs> I'm coming along. You're the coming along. Are basically around the, the saboteur is the one that says I don't belong here, mm-hmm. and if when not in balance, you will self sabotage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're so. Tess, there are just volumes upon volumes upon volumes of examples of when people do this. Mm-hmm. That they'll just, I mean, I've witnessed it in my closest circle where people will just blow their life up because in their narrative, they think I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And um, I can say this on here because I'm really excited about it. I have a new therapist. She is amazing and fantastic and so good at helping me reframe even words. Um, We had a great conversation about the concept of forgiveness, which she believes that word can sometimes be toxic because it's thrown around a lot and it doesn't mean anything about reparation. Mm. And reparation is a better word to consider. I just love that. Mm. Um, But she is really helping me reframe the way I say things. So, uh, for example, I mean, here we are in Jenna Millie. Does anybody really listen to this? So, <laughs> you don't want to hear the stats as you're talking about your therapy. Get what I'm saying and those who don't regularly, I hope you just stop listening right now. But I said I'm very proud of the decisions that I've made around career choices and the work that I do. I'm very proud of the parent that I am. 
and the work that I've done to try to create um, a, a family dynamic for my kids that was better than what I experienced growing up. Uh-huh. I'm very proud of the sister and the aunt that I am, but I said, I just suck at relationships. And she said, hey, now let's, let's talk about that a little bit. She goes, do you feel like you really are terrible at relationships or do you feel like maybe it's in the choices that you make? I choose, I choose around the saboteur. Well, yeah, if we want to, if we want to go back to your Enneagram type, right? Two. Which is... I was just going to say, so for a two, I mm-hmm. tend to choose a situation where you that know you're going to be needed, that I'm needed. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. <laughs> that often is not a good relationship choice uh-uh. for what my values and purpose and self need. Yep. And so I think Tess, one of the things that I love the most about being at my mid year check in is that the learning never ever stops. Mm-hmm. So and it's good. only if your eyes and ears are open mm-hmm. and your heart and mind are open that you can really learn the valuable lessons. Yeah. They're just never gonna stop. Yeah. I just wish it wasn't so damn painful sometimes to <laughs> learn. <laughs> Okay, I will say yes, but you won't learn the lesson in the same way if it isn't painful, right? Absolutely. Like you're not like that's that's the whole beautiful part of growth mindset. Like I, I love in the moment it's hard, but I love when I fail. I love when I let others down or I let myself down, and that's brought to the light because what happens is those moments of growth stick so much more in my head and my heart and my gut than anything else ever has right the lessons that I've learned have been from a place of it being really hard and feeling like it's impossible or feeling like I betrayed or let somebody else down right like those moments are the moments that stick with me and I have sidestepped potential repeats of those much more readily than I have in any other quote unquote growth that I've learned. And, and this is coming from a person who loves to read, right? Like I feel like you can acquire so much knowledge from books and from what you can, you know, just basic, you know, learning and fact finding, but golly gee, I mean, in my own life, the reality of growth mindset is so prevalent because the best lessons I've learned have not come from a textbook. They've come from real life examples of places where my heart and soul have been connected and to that I let down or I didn't do something right like then those moments have what I've stepped away with from those moments have resonated and stuck with me so much more than anything I could have ever read or memorized out of a book right and I think you have to have the right board of directors the right circle around you who can we, we um, brought this up a little bit when we talked about servant leadership, and I so see this in Annette. If you mm-hmm. don't have the relationship built and the trust isn't there, yeah. you can't have the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. So we're lucky, I think, for each other as complementary partners, um, as teammates, as coworkers, as mm-hmm. in the way that we do even this. Mm-hmm. Trust is built so yeah. we can have hard conversations. Mm-hmm. But also you've got those people in your life to say, Hey, let's take a look at this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple connectedness moments I wanted to to bring up. I mentioned on the, which I did not know you would be listening when I designed that presentation for Don. I said, who's your test? And there are so many people that have reached out to me saying, 
I want you to know that I reached out to my test. I told my test. And I just, I think that is fantastic because everyone, everyone should have that. I believe that. Yeah. The second piece is that some people know this and see this about us and being interviewed as how does your complimentary partnership work was one of the most enlightening. These are not things I even think about. Uh-huh. You want to talk about a celebration? I walked away from that conversation and thank you, Angie, for being so thoughtful to think of us mm-hmm. as an example of a complimentary partnership. But I walked away from that dialogue even more grateful mm-hmm. to know that not only is it great for you and I, but the ripple effects of that are probably why we have just a great amount of engagement around strengths to those yeah. that we've been able to model this to. Yeah. Mm. So modeling it means a lot. I think about Lauren hopping on the Jen and Millie, you know, yeah. live happy hour oh and gosh. saying, it, I love seeing my mom in, in this in her purpose. because that's when she's, yep. she's most in flow. Mm-hmm. She's most engaged. Um, so I think we should celebrate that. I think people yeah. should think about who is their test. Who is their um, person that trust has been developed that they can have hard conversations, mm-hmm. but they also have very different strengths. Yeah. So you're able to have conversations around, maybe you don't see this this way, that can help bridge leadership in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. I love that example with Annette. Yeah. She can, she loves on people mm-hmm. and she builds a relationship and t- takes the time to get to know them and to time the time to know them as human beings. Yeah. And then she'll say, this is something we got to work on. Yeah. Hey, let's work on this. Let's mm-hmm. take a look at this. There, There's no way you can do that before you have the relationship built. Yeah. And that's of such course. a good example. Yep. So um, I, love it. I, do, I did want to celebrate that and give a shout out to Angie. That was probably one of the highlights of my month to have that dialogue, mm-hmm. just to have someone ask. Yeah, what makes it work? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. I don't know that we've ever reflected on that before, so it's kind of fun to think about. And hmm. so many examples. Mm-hmm. Examples of how I assumed what adaptability looked like to that I assumed I was being, I was in woo instead of in professionalism the time I didn't use a microphone. And that you were able to say that to me and teach me one of the best, best lessons I've ever been taught as a trainer. Hmm. That people need to hear you. And when you say, oh, forget it, I'll go without the mic. Uh-uh. It's not professional. I, mean, I hadn't even thought about some of those things. <laughs> I know. You it know, was so funny. You can, if, you, if I just met you the week prior and you came up and said that, I would have been... Like, who, who the, are you like to tell me? Like, oh my gosh, I love it. So I oh think um, in my mid-year check-in, these are, are some of the things that are Good. going well. Good. Oh my gosh. Well, I love it. Well, I think when we, we think about what we can ask listeners to reflect on, um, I think a, a question that's antecedent to a mid-year reflection is when you think about your word, how has it stayed true to its initial intent and how has it diverted from its initial intent because of all that's been going on? I think that'd be really interesting to hear about um, in the middle of kind of a, or in, in a mid-year reflection. I also would really like people to think about how you framed yours with, with what's working and then, but even greater, what's not working. And below that, what can 
I do about what's not working? And do I want to do anything about what's not working? So those really hard and honest self-reflection questions regarding what might not be working right now in life. Because there might be things, right, where you get to the second question and you realize you don't have control over what's not working, right? Like if you say working from home isn't working, well, do you have any sort of, you know, autonomy to be able to change that? Maybe in some respects and maybe not. So that can terminate Mm -hmm. that question right there. But then what can you do about it? And do you want to do anything about making, making a shift? Um, so yeah, doing those sort of reflections in terms of a mid-year. Um, and then, yeah, thinking about who are some great partners in your life, just given the last conversation. I'm not going to pose the question as who is your test, because I think that's weird. And I loved listening to you <laughs> teach on the Don webinar, but it, that was a really weird slide when the question in the chat was like, who is your test? And then all these replies like, my test is, yada yada, my test is, you know, here's who my test is. And I'm like, well, I'm Tess. Hi, everybody. Nice to meet you. Um, <laughs> my test is Allie. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, who are, who's um, somebody that can help that or who's somebody that you've built rapport with that you're able to have tough conversations with and I think framing it in that way is helpful because I think the tendency for people um you know not for us because of where we're at but the tendency for a lot of people I think would be to assume that it might be a spouse or someone that like they do life with all the time and I would say in some respects that could be the case in your relationship but I think in other people's relationship what I've seen is sometimes the that further divides or wedges, you know, um, relationship, but also sometimes the people that are closest to us, like there's a little bit of a fine line, right? Because sometimes we don't take feedback from the people that are closest to us, just like we have a hard time taking compliments from the people that are closest to us. Like you're like, well, you're my spouse, you're my partner, you're my good friend at work, you know? And so I have a harder time hearing that sort of feedback. So I think this is a little bit of a different role. And for some people, a spouse, a loved one, a child, um, a really great coworker can fill that, like we model it. But also I think it requires us to think beyond those the immediate responses right to say whose feedback really would make me change right would make me really think and audit where I'm at um regarding this one area so um I would challenge people to to think maybe beyond your initial gut response it might be accurate right but to not just let it be whoever first comes to mind and sit with that right because you probably aren't going to be my first response of my best friend in my entire world, right? But I will take your responses for how I should change most to heart because we do have the rapport built really well. So, yeah. And I think that sometimes there's an assumption that they need to go to whatever the title looks like. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think you can have a strong rapport with a parent or not or a sibling or not or... Um, a former boss or not. I mean, I think about Gigi in my life as a a person who I can all, this is a lifelong, I can always count count on that kind of conversation with her. Um, Was from the very beginning and then, you know, has ebbed and flowed in so many different ways. Um, To think about some of the people in our lives who, who could we have a really, a conversation where you know that it's safe. Mm-hmm. And I think the safety part is key. And safe meaning that you can be completely honest and not saying that you couldn't with a spouse or a parent or whatever, but safety for you in the sense that are you looking for their feedback 
for the right reason? Mm-hmm. Like, are they completely objective? Um, I think that you can be objective in my life because you don't have to be around me as much as, say, for example, my friend Sherry, who has known me since I was in kindergarten, and she's the kind of person that gets to say, I'm very disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) She gets to say that. She gets to say it. She's earned that title. But I don't know that, like, some of those kinds of dialogues, like, where am I in with a mid-year check-in, she would probably say, what are why are you doing that? Um, because it's a different kind of relationship. It's a different friendship. So I think you're right. Think about who can you have those dialogues with? Love the mid-year review. Please share your hope print with listeners. Do you have anything on choice that you want to share for a little bit of equity and representation of words? Oh boy. Think on that. We're capped at time. So I'll wrap us up, but you think on that. Um, I will. And yeah, so I'm going to wrap us up. Turn your wounds to wisdom. Turn your wounds into wisdom. Okay. That's growth mindset and choice. That's Oprah. That's Oprah. Not me. I didn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I always say no, not not me. I didn't say it as if I'm like not trying to take credit, but I'm not trying to take credit because it's really good and someone else deserves it. I would take credit if that was me. Oh my gosh, you're so funny. Oh man. Okay. So I think that's a good, that's a good wrap, right? Doing, reflecting on how your word has shifted a bit this year and how it stayed true to its initial intent. What's working in a mid-year review check-in sort of sense? What's not working? If it's not working, what sort of power do you have to change it? And do you want to do anything? Do you have kind of the intent um, and kind of passion to actually make the change? And then an evaluation of who's a really great partner in your life that you can turn to for honest um, feedback that creates safe containers for conversation. So cool. Okay, I got it. Alrighty. Well, that means that I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to episode 72 of Jen and Millie. If you enjoyed today's conversation, consider sharing this episode with a friend. To interact with us and share the responses to the questions and action items we post in this episode, you can follow us on Instagram at Jen and Millie. That's at G-E-N-N-A-N-D-M-I-L-L-I-E. Until next time. Just kidding, not until next time. We just want to put a note that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are exclusively that of Allison Horn and Tess Starman, may not reflect the views of Teammates Mentoring Program at large. That's what happens when I try to do the conclusion from memory instead of reading my own script. Now really, until next time. <laughs>